Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. You are Lord, and you are King, and there is no other besides you, Lord. We humble ourselves now in your sight, Lord, and we lift you up because you said if you be lifted up, you would draw all men unto you, and we lift you up. We lift you up over the word today, Lord, from our dear brother, our dear pastor. And Lord, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit will move through him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And let your word go forth in a mighty way to set free, deliver, and above all, Lord, let your presence be among us today. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. We need you every day. We need your word, Lord. Your word is quick and sharp and powerful than any two-edged sword. It cuts asunder from the spirit of the bone and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So let your, your word go forth today to search our hearts here. Set us free, Lord, that we may continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. And thank you for our pastor here, Lord. Thank you for the leadership. Lord, you have set your leadership in order. And we lift them up to you today, especially Pastor Andrew here now, as he is a humble servant and want you to speak through him for thy name's sake and for thy glory. Amen. Thank you, sister. All right. If you could open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, we're going to read through that. Um, it's a short, short chapter, so not too scary. Um, thank you for praying for me, Ms. Pearlie. I, I, I heard you say uh, that the anointing would come through my feet. I think my wife would disagree with that. I think she would not want my anointing to, or the anointing of the Lord to come through my feet. She's like, enough, enough with your feet, Andrew. Okay, sorry. That joke fell flat. All right. Let's read chapter 12 together. Acts chapter 12. Now, at that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church to do them harm. And he had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. Now, these were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, turning him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending only after the Passover to bring him before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but I'll read the rest of this in a moment. Things look pretty dire here, don't they? Uh, the, the, the king is intending to do harm to the church, and he actually kills 
James, one of the apostles. And of course, this is, uh, I'm sure the rest of the church realized this is, James's death was maybe part of uh, fulfillment of Jesus had, had uh, prophesied uh, back in Mark uh, that, uh, that James would have to suffer similar way that, that he had, had suffered. So maybe they were thinking about, but, but still, things do not look good for the church. And uh, this Herod, by the way, there's lots of Herods in the Bible, but this, this is Herod Agrippa I, and this is the grandson of Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great was the one in Matthew 2 who met up with the wise men, who uh, was the one who had all the babies in Bethlehem killed in an attempt to try to get rid of Jesus. Um, so that's who this is. And, and this is also the nephew of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the one who uh, joined forces with Pontius Pilate to put Jesus on trial. Uh, so, so this is this is now a, this is a third Herod, Herod Agrippa the first, and he was known, by the way, to dislike ethnic and religious minorities, and he saw the, this new Christian sect as a religious minority, and he saw them as a threat to the Roman peace, and so uh, so um, it, it's perfectly in keeping with his policies and his his actions uh, that that he would unleash this kind of persecution on uh, on the people. Uh, so to finish up verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made to God intensely by the church. Are we responding to our current crises with prayer, church? <clears throat> verse 6, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. So this guy was extremely securely uh, held in prison. There was no getting around this. Verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near Peter, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Put on your belt, strap on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And yet he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. That's, that's pretty, pretty wild. Verse 10. Now, when he had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel departed from him. Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. In verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathering together um, and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a slave woman named Rhoda came to answer. When, he recognized, when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. So next time you call somebody crazy, it's biblical, okay? You're crazy, you're out of your mind, okay. But she kept insisting that it was so. They said to her, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord 
had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James. This is a different James. This is James, the brother of Jesus now. Uh, when, uh, then he left and went to another place. Verse 18, when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. Now, if we stopped here, this would be just an amazing story, but the story keeps going. In verse 19, when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now, he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one mind they came to him asking, and having won over Blastus the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace, because their country was supported with grain from the king's country. On an appointed day, after putting on his royal apparel, Herod took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people repeatedly cried out, the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned when they had fulfilled their mission to Jerusalem, taking along with them John, who is also called Mark. Little hint. It's coming in the next chapter. Okay, quite a story. Quite a story here. Um, pretty um, mind-blowing, actually. Uh, um, this is a, a, a huge reversal of fortune, and that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about, about how God reverses our fortunes, the fortunes of those who, who follow him. Um, and just, just look at how uh, this, um, you know, this, this is all set up. We, the, the story opens with James dead, uh, Peter is arrested and imprisoned, and Herod is triumphing. It looks like Herod's plans are succeeding. His efforts to uh, try to quell this upstart sect of, of Christians is, is succeeding. He's winning. That's what it looks like. And how often are we, do we find ourselves in the middle of a story where it looks like evil is succeeding and what is good is on retreat? Anybody, anybody in the middle of a story like that right now? Okay, I see some hands up. I know I am. I think there's more of you who should have your hands up because I know some of the stories that are going on for people. Um, but look how this story closes. Peter is free, the guards are in disarray and apparently executed, Herod is dead, and the word of God is triumphing. That's how this story ends. This is, this is absolutely incredible. And, you know, the, the, the Bible is full of stories uh, very much like this. And I'm, I'm sure all of you could list off at least half a dozen within a couple minutes. We got... We got Joseph, okay, and how God flips his story around. We've got the whole story of the Exodus and how God flips the, the story of the people of Israel around. And of course, Moses, in the middle of that, he's got his own story of how God flips his story around. We've got the story of Naomi and Ruth, uh, how God flips their stories around. There's, there's the, one of my favorites, King Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20. Um, <clears throat> there's three armies converging on them. Uh, it looked like they're going to wipe out Jerusalem wipe out uh, the whole nation, uh, but God flips it around, and at the end of the chapter, verse 20, it says, 
uh, that, that God caused the three armies to start fighting each other, and, uh, and, and, and they eliminated each other, and there was so much plunder, it says, that it took them three days to haul it off. There's, uh, with, I, I was thinking through the story, the various stories of the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha. There are so many stories in their stories of God turning it around. I, I especially thought of the, the siege of Samaria in 2 Kings chapter 6. That's where uh, the, the city of Samaria is under siege. There's, everyone is starving to death. They're, they're absolutely on the, the very edge of total collapse. They're surrounded by this army. There's, there's no chance that anyone's going to escape. Food's going to get through. Nothing good is going to happen. And in a single night, uh, the army gets scared off. They leave all of their tents, all of their equipment, everything just there. And, uh, and, and they, the, the people come out and, and have a feast, gorge themselves um, on, that, on what's left of the army. Uh, there, there's, there's this image in Micah chapter 7. Uh, talking about the enemies of God, oppressing the people of God. And it says that at, at one point, though, uh, God was going to defeat them, and they, they were going to end up, uh, here's this powerful image, lick the dust like lizards. And then uh, they were going to come trembling from their fortresses in dread of the living God. <clears throat> There's the story of Esther, one of the most famous stories of reversals, uh, reversals of fortune uh, that we have in, in the whole Bible. Just uh, astounding. So all these stories, after story after story, and you know these these are really powerful stories because they uh, one of the things that, one of the things they do is they help us contrast going God's way versus going our way. You know, our way usually begins. It, we might be fully resourced. We might have our problems very securely pinned down, like Herod had Peter securely pinned down. Um, uh, it might be backed with all the human authority that we think we need, and we're optimistic uh, when we start off. That's often how our stories begin, um, our, when we do it our way. Uh, but, and God's stories are often, begin, they often begin in weakness. They often begin with crushing defeat. They often begin with retreat. But if you stick around long enough and watch the whole story unfold, and I know a few of you saints here could testify— if you stick around long enough, our story, if we do it our way, ends with bondage, with death, with destruction, with judgment. But if we stick around long enough, it's God's story. When we do it God's way, it ends with freedom. It ends with enemies scrambled. It ends with triumph. Which way are we going to pick? Which, which one are we going to go with? Well, one of the reasons this story really stuck out to me as I was meditating on it and preparing for this was I, 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 I wanted, you know, this, is, this year, we've said it's a year of overflow, and we asked at the beginning of Lent, how do we cooperate with God's overflow? Uh, and we've been talking about that theme, how do we cooperate with God's overflow? And so my question is here, how do we cooperate with a story of God where he reverses everything? Like this, how do we how do we become partakers, participants in one of his turnaround stories? How, how do how do we do that? Well, I think the text uh, will will show us uh, some things. So let's look at verse five. I'm going to read that again. Verse five. Interesting what it says there. Verse five says, "So um, Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him." was being made to God intensely by the church. 
Now, prayer is not a magical incantation. Prayer, you don't like say a prayer and magic things happen. Prayer is not a, a, a lever that you, you pull and then the thing you want comes sliding out on your vending machine. That's not how prayer works. There's a huge mystery around how prayer works. None of us know. But I will say this about prayer. The, the people who pray, those are the people whose eyes are open to see the overflow. It's, it's the people who pray who see the overflow. Okay? And, and that's, that's, that is super important for us to get down. A, a, a lot of us, you know, say, well, I, I, I don't pray, or I, I stop praying, or I don't pray about these things, because I don't think God's going to answer. You're not even going to know if God's answering if you're not praying. Okay? So one of my exhortations to you this morning is pray. Whatever it is, pray about it. Uh, however long it's taking, pray about it. Whatever twists and turns you seem to go through before you see some sort of response or answer, keep praying through all the twists and turns. You know, the Israelites, I'm sure they, they prayed many times when they were wandering in the wilderness, you know, just take me straight to the promised land. <laughs> it should only take a couple weeks to get there. God had him wandering for 40 years, uh, but those 40 years were absolutely necessary, and it was the people who were praying faith-filled prayers uh, who understood what God was doing through all that. So pray. Keep praying. So that, I, I would say that's the, the first um, thing that God does is he... Let's see, this guy, this guy pumping here. And not going. All right, well, you would be amazed because it says prayer on there. That's... All right. How do I cooperate? Oop. Pray. Pray. Second thing, verse 6. Let's look at this. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was anxiously walking back and forth, wringing his hands in worry over what was going to happen to him the next day. Oh, did I read that wrong? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought it was right there. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Peter was sleeping. It's supposed to say sleep. It's going to say sleep. I push it. All right. And it's not saying sleep. All right. I'm sure someone... There it is. Okay. Sleep. Hallelujah. Thank you. Okay. Now, this might be the oddest thing. This is, Andrew, where's the action step? How am I supposed to cooperate with God by sleeping? Okay. Just, a few, just hold on there. Let me, let me explain a few things. Back in John chapter 21, verses 18 through 19, Jesus had promised something to Peter. Jesus had promised that everything in Peter's life was going to work out perfectly, and, and all of his dreams were, were going to be fulfilled. Oh, did I get that wrong? Okay, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Jesus promised Peter that he was going to die a martyr's death. Now, I don't know about you, that's not necessarily peace-inducing for me, not necessarily sleep-inducing. But I think by this time, Peter had learned, obviously the hard way from what we know about the rest of Peter's life, Peter had learned that when Jesus says, this is where your life is going, even if it's not full of warm fuzzies, even if it doesn't fulfill a, a, a Disney wish, it's good where Jesus is taking you. 
And, and so Peter had figured out, I think, by this point, that he could actually have peace in the middle of his trials. He, 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 probably, he thought he probably the next day was going to be his last day. But instead of anxiously fretting about it, I'm, I'm going to enjoy some sleep here with the guards surrounding me. I'm going to enjoy some sleep because he trusted the Lord. He was filled with peace. Now, in, in actual history, he didn't die for several decades later. His martyrdom came much later. But he didn't know that at the time. And, and here's the thing. I think the people who have the most peace or in the middle of trials, or the people who are most at peace in the middle of trials, are the people who are also at peace with God's plan. i say that again because I should have heard a few more hallelujahs on that one. <clears throat> the people who are most at peace in the middle of trials are the people who are also at peace with God's plan. Thank you. Got to hear some good hallelujahs on that one because that is true. I just told you truth. <clears throat> uh, many of us, when, when, we, when we, we think, oh, what does God have in store for me? And, and, and we, we, we wring our hands and we're anxious and we're worried and, oh, no, what's God, what's gonna, God going to do to me? What terrible things are going to happen to me? Peter actually knew what terrible thing was going to happen to him. Martyrdom. And he was at peace. And, and so I would suggest that you can actually cooperate with God's plan in your life by resting. Believe it or not, you can actually put your burdens down because God's the one who's got your burdens. Okay, that's good news for you today, by the way. So don't, don't go out of here saying I didn't hear good news. Okay. Now, I think these two things, prayer and sleep, actually come out of a third way we can cooperate with God. And this thing better work this time. Oh, it does. Trust. Trust. Now, <clears throat> trust in what exactly? Let, let, me, let me just review this a little bit here for you. Um, Peter and the early church had figured out some things at this point. First of all, Peter and the early church at this point, they knew all that biblical history I just mentioned. Joseph, Moses, Jehoshaphat, Naomi, Ruth, Elijah, Elisha, Micah, Esther. They, they knew those stories. And their lives had been so full of amazing miracles in the, in the just previous few years that they pro I'm guessing they had come to a point of trusting that this is how God actually works. God actually reverses stories. He actually turns them right around. He, he, they, they knew that by now. So I, I, think, I think because they were grounded in what God had done in the past, they could trust that God was up to something in the middle of this. All right? As part of that, um, you know, uh, we already know Peter was, uh, Peter had already been arrested twice at this point, once in Acts chapter 4 and then another time in Acts chapter 5. He'd been arrested uh, twice. There'd been a kind of a miraculous release. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think the church was being cocky, like, oh, I'll just be released again. I don't, you know. But, but, uh, but they knew God was in control of the situation, that this imprisonment wasn't an accident. This wasn't a sign that everything was falling apart. Uh, I, I know I, I, sometimes I talk to other pastors, I talk to other churches, and, 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 and church leaders are all over the place. They're wringing their hands and worried like, oh, the, you know, the, the, the pandemic, it's, 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 it's taken us by surprise, and all these bad things are happening, and people are leaving the church, and people aren't coming back, and oh no, and what do we do? 
I think we can trust God actually knows what he's doing in the church, what he's doing in North America, what he's doing in us, what he's doing in our lives. And, and so we can trust, we can rest. <clears throat> and of course, as I already mentioned, Peter knew his life was going to end in martyrdom. And like I was saying a moment ago, somehow he could rest in the middle of that. I don't know how your life's going to end. I don't know how my life is going to end. I'm sure there are Ukrainians right now who did not think their life was going to end the way it's ended, or that they would end up being a refugee in Poland, or their life completely scattered. I've heard that testimony over and over again from uh, Ukrainians that, like, we, up until the day of the invasion, they, they had... Uh, they, they were very surprised by this. They'd always seen Russians as their brothers and sisters. How could they do this to us? So, so there, was, there was shock and surprise. I don't know how your life and my life is going to be overturned. I know some of you are thinking, my life has been overturned too much already. Can't we put a stop to that, please? I, don't, I can't give you that kind of promise or guarantee. But I can tell you that if we learn from Peter's example to trust in God's big story... I think you and I can have rest in the middle of our trial and in the face of imminent danger. I, I think that's actually possible for the people of God. Any agreement? Okay, just making sure. Like, oh, but Pastor Andrew, I thought that if I just trusted Jesus, that meant my life would work out perfectly. Not how it works. <clears throat> um, and of course, the church had figured out by now that prayer works. Now, I, I think the reason why the church and Peter could be so trusting in the middle of this, why they could keep praying in the middle of this, why they could keep looking to God in the middle of this, was they saw this little story that they were in, this, this story that you know starts here in the beginning of chapter 12 with James getting killed, ends up with Herod dying. Um, I, I think they could, they could trust because they, they knew this smaller story was tied in with a much, much bigger story. And moving to the next slide here. I might need a little help up there. Matthew, moving it to the next slide. because Oh, there we go. <clears throat> there is a bigger narrative that Peter's life was tied into, that the church's life was tried, tied into, and that was Jesus' own reversal of fortune. Okay? Before... Anyone in the church had experienced a reversal of fortune. Jesus had lived out the ultimate reversal of fortune. Think of how his life started. His life started, he humbled himself. And he didn't humble himself, he didn't lower himself to become, he could have become emperor, something. He could have already been in control of all the resources and the armies of the world. He could have done that. But instead, he humbled himself and became an infant exposed to danger, exposed to risk into a poor family with no resources to speak of, he humbled himself. That's how his life started, a very inauspicious beginning to someone who's supposed to be savior of the world. But Jesus didn't stop there humbling himself. He humbled himself further when he suffered and when he died. Jesus suffered and died, not, not a, a noble death at, on a white charger at the head of an army. He died the death that was reserved 
to put the most, the, 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 the greatest maximum amount of shame on criminals. It was, it was a death that was meant to broadcast to the world, this loser right here has been defeated by the might and the power of Rome. That's, that's how Jesus died. So the story gets even worse in his life. But he rises. He rises from the dead. He rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. He is given all authority in heaven and on earth. He's given the name that's above every other name. He's promised that every knee will bow to him. And one day, he is going to return. And when he returns, church, all of your grievances, every last one of them, including your grievances with other people in this room, are going to be redressed. All of your injustices that you have faced, every last one, all of the injustices that your neighbor has faced, all of the injustices that the Ukrainians have faced, all of the injustices going on in the world will be turned around, turned around, set right, set right. This cry we've had for justice, all justice, as the, 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 the prophet has this image of it's going gonna, it's gonna to roll down like a river. Justice is going to roll down like a river. It's going to set everything right. All of the losses you have endured, all the things that have been taken from you, stolen from you, removed from you, all the things in your life where it's felt like someone's invaded your home, beaten you up, grabbed your things, and run out with them, all those losses will be recompensated. Every last one of them and Jesus will dry every tear. Every single tear that you have cried over whatever it's been, a loss, a grief, something terrible that's happened to you, someone happened to someone you love, every one of those tears will be dried when Jesus returns. And so when, when Peter was sleeping, when the people of God were praying and looking to him, praying fervently, it says, and intensely. I think they knew they had their eyes fixed on this amazing reversal of fortune that Jesus guaranteed through his resurrection was going to happen to all of those who trust in him. I think they had that. In fact, Peter was able to write decades later in his letter, uh, first Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, fix your hope. Fix your hope that everything's going to work out in this life. Did he say, fix your hope that all the things that make you uncomfortable will go away and you're going to have a nice, comfortable life that's, that you get to settle down in? He said, fix your hope on the grace 
that will be revealed when Jesus appears. When Jesus appears, all of those trials are going to be reversed. All of those grievances are going to be redressed. All those injustices will be set straight. All of your losses will be compensated. And he will dry every tear when he returns. And, and because Peter had lived that out for decades, he was able to exhort the brethren decades later, fix your hope on the grace of that will be revealed when Jesus appears. Worship team, please come on up. We, we are going to, we're going to practice right now as we sing these songs. We're going to practice fixing our hope, fixing our hope, so it doesn't move and shake and twist and bend. We're going to practice fixing our hope on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus appears. Oh, great God. Thank you. This morning you have refreshed us. You've touched us. You've blessed us. You've encouraged us. You've built us up. We give you the credit and the glory. We give you the worship. Pray now that as you leave this place physically, or leave us on the digital balcony. Lord, I, I want to pray that, God, you would go with us. We could carry you with us everywhere we go this week. Pray that the mighty power of your name would be with us. Oh, Lord, we, we, would, we would recognize how you are recruiting us to the... <laughs> to the armies of heaven to join with you in your mighty battle against darkness. Pray that we would be your force of light, bringing darkness into this world, bringing hope into the despair, bringing love into the hatred, bringing forgiveness into the bitterness. Lord, we pray that the bitter waters of this world would be turned fresh by our presence here and your presence in us and our presence in the world, Lord. So go now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go and spread his light and his life and his joy everywhere you go this week. Bless you all.